of you have ever carried a backpack? Yes, yes, most everyone probably has, right? Have you, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty handy. <clears throat> I can fit a lot of stuff in them, in this backpack, actually. Um, you know, some, some packs are a little bit larger than others. And, you know, they're pretty, pretty handy. You can get a lot of things in them, uh, especially if you're on, like, a backpacking trip, right? Anyone ever been on a hiking trip, backpacking trip? Uh, ruck march, um, if you spend any time, like, this is kind of, the, kind of the thing that soldiers would wear, right? When they're um, marching, uh, maybe they get all their stuff packed up and, and then they start heading out on their journey and um, the drill sergeant says, keep going, keep going, and you don't know when you're going to stop and you don't know and you want to stop and your feet start hurting and your back starts hurting and you just keep going. I mean, when, usually when we... Um, when we get our backpacks on and get ready to go on a, on a trip. Uh, at first, even though like, eh, this, this burden is a little bit heavy. Not too bad, though. It feels pretty good. I'm, I'm fresh. Uh, we're starting out. We're going to head up that mountain, head up the trails, hanging out with our friends, looking at nature, right? Enjoying the scenery. Everything's beautiful. Everything's wonderful. But then after a while, what What happens? start to feel the heaviness, right? That burden gets a little bit heavier, a little more uncomfortable. And we start thinking, it's all uphill. Um, maybe this isn't so good after all, right? So what do we usually do at that point in the trip? What do we usually do? Take it off. Take it off. That's right. Take, take the pack off. Take that burden off. Have a seat, drink some water, have a snack, something like that, right? That's, that's typically, you know, that's, that's the way to do it, right? Get a little rest. The Bible describes our lives as being on a path or a road or a way. We're on a journey, on a journey through life, right? The Bible says, though, that too, we carry a burden with us. What is that burden? Anyone know? What is that burden, Maddie? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we should be carrying Jesus with us, shouldn't we? The Bible says that the burden we carry is sin, right? The Bible describes sin as a burden that we carry. A burden that actually prevents us from being on the right way, right? A, a burden that, is, that keeps us from traveling the road. We, it's too much for us. The way is too difficult through life when we're carrying this burden of sin. The Bible says that we can't remove the burden on our own. You know, we may be on a, on a, on a hiking trip and feel like, hey, we, let's, let's, get this ba- this, let's get this burden off. Let me, let me take a little rest. But the Bible says this is a burden you can't remove yourself. It's going to be there until somebody else does something about it. And it's only God who can remove that burden. The truth is that every one of us carries a burden of sin that needs to be lifted away. Every one of us carries a burden of sin that needs to be lifted away. And only God can actually do the lifting away. We're going to look at Psalm 32 this morning. Psalm 32. And this is a psalm that teaches us that this burden can be lifted away by God. And the result, the result is what I would like to call, um, the result for an individual is what I would like to call the forgiven life. So if you're taking notes uh, on the backside of your handout, you can just cross out the title that was printed because um, that was from last week. And you can just write in the forgiven life. Because that's, that's what we want to talk about. That's what the psalm is saying that we can experience. And we can only experience the forgiven life when God lifts away our sin. When God lifts away our sin. Um, turn your attention with me to the screen. This is... Um, I, I, I want you all to follow along in your own Bibles. But... Uh, would you, would you pay attention to what's on the screen right now as I read this out loud? And uh, this is just a, a simple, uh, it's a new translation of Psalm 32. And if you want to know more about it, I can t- talk to you about it later. But 
just see, see how this translation describes this psalm. Psalm 32, a contemplative poem of David. Blessed is the one who has his transgressions lifted away and who has his sin covered. Blessed is the man whose iniquity the Lord does not consider and in whose spirit is no deceit. But when I stayed silent, my bones decayed in my constant agony. Because your hand weighs me down day and night, I was sapped of energy like summer heat. And then there's that wonderful Hebrew word, Selah. I make my sin known to you, and I, I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, you lifted away the guilt of my sin, Selah. Based on this, the godly will pray to you at the right time. Surely a great flood will not reach him. You are a place of protection for me. You keep me from tight spots. You surround me with shouts of escape. Selah. Listen to what God says. I will give you insight and I will teach you the right way to live. I will advise you with my eye on you. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding. Its bridle restrains with a bit and halter. Otherwise, he will not come to you. There are great pains for the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be joyful in the Lord. And be exuberant, righteous people, and give a great shout, all of you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to understand what it is you want us to know from this word this morning. God, give us humility um, to, to, know, to know that, God, we don't have it all worked out, that we need to hear from you that we need to come before you, God, and receive what only you can give to us through your word, the truth that comes from the Bible, as, and also from your son, Jesus. And uh, the insight, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to understand. And God, give us the power to walk out of here transformed and ready to do your will and to be different people because of your good news and because of what you've done in this, in this message, Lord pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to recognize a few things as we go through this psalm together. Um, in, in fact, if you, are, if you would like to follow along in one of the Bibles, um, it is on page, you'll find it on page 462 in the Bibles that are underneath the chairs. So you can follow along there in detail. But the forgiven life, notice, is a blessed life. The forgiven life is a blessed life. Look at Look back at verse, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, after the psalmist describes the psalm, that it's a, in, in most of our, many of our English translations, it's called a, a maskil, a maskil. Um, another w- a way of describing that is a psalm that's contemplative, a psalm that makes you think, or a psalm that gives insight or wisdom, um, something to ponder. And that, this is a psalm we definitely should read and ponder, think about, meditate on. But after he says that, he says, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is lifted, transgression is lifted away. Blessed, oftentimes we get the idea of uh, blessed is, is happy. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 1. And what does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the one who does not walk in the, in the way of sinners, sit in the uh, seat of scoffers, um, or stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. But his, law, his eye is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, blessed, happy. Do you want to live a happy life? Follow God. Follow his ways for you, right? That's kind of what he's saying. But it's interesting, though, as I was looking a little more closely at this word blessed, and I realized that, I found out that the nuance of this word is, not, is more than just, hey, I'm happy, I'm always smiling, I'm always joking around. I always feel good. It's not always like that. It's actually, it's actually the, describing somebody who is envied or admired. Like, boy, you know what? I wish I was a lot more like that guy because there's something about... He is blessed. He lives a blessed life. 
I want to be like that. That's what this is like. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Man, I want to be like that guy. There's something about him. He's forgiven, right? He's forgiven. His sins have been forgiven. His transgression is forgiven. His transgression has been lifted away. Notice these three words um, for sin in these first few verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven or lifted away. Transgression. Um, what, uh, we don't usually use that word very often, do we? <laughs> transgression, sin, um, even iniquity. The idea of transgression is rebellion against God. Against God and His authority. They, all of us have seen that if we've raised kids. Because what happens when a child says, No, I don't want to. That's a transgression. That's what that is. That's a transgression. And um, some of us never grow out of that, do we? <clears throat> So we just grow up and we say no, maybe not to our parents um, so much, maybe not to the people we work for, maybe in our heart we say it a lot, maybe not out loud, but do we say it to God? All the time. All the time. No, I don't want to, God. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do what you want me to do. It's a transgression, a sin. The, the, the idea for sin is pretty simple. It means that we're failing to meet God's standards. We're missing the mark. It, you can imagine, um, imagine uh, shooting an arrow or you know, maybe you're out at the range and, and you're doing rifle practice and you keep missing the target. doesn't matter what you do. You get your eyes set on it, but something is wrong. There's sin in your life and you keep missing the target. You keep missing the mark. And... The, and <laughs> sin is, is basically us recognizing that, dang, I keep messing up. I keep screwing up. No matter what I do, it just doesn't seem to work out. Iniquity, the third word he uses in verse 2, iniquity is the idea of intentional acts of sin. Intentional acts of sin, the result of which we say, hey, i got to be honest with you, I'm guilty. I did it, I meant to do it, I willfully disobeyed, and I'm guilty because of it. But what, what, but what makes the person blessed is that the, that transgression, that sin, that iniquity is forgiven. It's lifted away. When we see this word forgiven, especially in the Old Testament, that's exactly what it means. It means that burden has been removed. It has been lifted away, carried away. When the sin is covered, the, the idea that the sin is covered, it's hidden. It's no longer seen. You're not going to see it anymore. It's in the past. That's kind of how God views it. When, when the sin is forgiven, it's covered. Where is it? I don't see it. It's gone. The sin is covered. And then, counts no iniquity. Blesses the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. This is, this is the idea that God doesn't consider our sin anymore. When our sins are forgiven, He doesn't think about it. He doesn't remind us of it. He doesn't go, hey, you remember I forgave your sin? Remember I forgave your sin, so what are you going to do? Or whenever we mess up again, he says, I forgave you that sin before. Why do you keep messing up? No, it's forgiven. God doesn't consider it anymore. It's gone. He doesn't count it up. He's not keeping a tally. Once it is forgiven, it's no longer on the books. There's no record of it. These three terms for sin, even though they have slightly different nuances, they are just... They're adding up. They're kind of piling up. The psalmist is saying, you know, it's transgression, it's sin, it's iniquity. It's everything that we experience. Everything that separates us from God. The totality of this, the person's sinfulness is being described here. And then the totality of God's forgiveness is being expressed in these various different ways that God lifts off our sins, hides them, covers them up and doesn't count them against us anymore.
But what happens though when a person refuses to repent? What happens when a person refuses to repent? Says, well, you know what? That's all fine and good. I, I want to be blessed, yes, but I think I'll just keep my sin to myself. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. For when I kept silent, when I stayed silent, my bones decayed in my constant agony. In the, in the, the Bibles that you have in the pews, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Wasted away, decayed, became brittle. They began to decompose. He's like, I I tried to hold this in. I, I tried to bottle it up. I tried to remain silent and st- I, I stifled my conscience. I knew that what I was doing was wrong. But I'm living with this guilt. And it's, and it's destroying me from the inside. It's killing my life. It's, it's taking, it's sickening my soul. Because his bones were wasted away. And his groaning and his constant agony, the groaning of, of oh, I'm in pain. Have you ever been in so much pain that you've just been crying out? I've been there. My daughter's nodding her head. There have been times when the physical pain is so much that it's like, oh, don't touch me. I don't want to move. And it's just day, it's just, the agony is constant. The groanings, day, all day long. That's what it's like when we remain silent. That's what it's like when we try to stifle our conscience and hold our guilt instead. Instead of experiencing the freedom of the forgiven life. Look what he says next in verse 4. He says, For day and night constantly then your hand was heavy upon me. Uh, your, Your hand weighs me down. We feel the weight of our burden. And then as we consider the fact that we're still carrying our sin and we're not doing anything about it, we feel the guilt. We feel God's judgment on us. And it's weighing us down. We draw our strength or our energy. We're sapped of energy. Like the idea is like the the juice that comes from a, a fruit is all dried up. The juice is all dried up. We're sapped. We're we're done. We got nothing left. It's like a middle of the it's our lives are like a middle the middle of a drought. We're spiritually dry, and nothing is growing anymore. I um you know, Olivia nodded at me when I was talking about groaning. Um, this was kind of uh, this is the kind of thing that um, this pack right here is the kind of thing that that caused me a lot of pain a few years ago. Um, wearing this kind of gear and a lot of other stuff um, um, in when I was in Iraq, and um, the physical effects of carrying a heavy load can take a a, a pretty heavy toll on your on your body. The result for me was that I experienced a lumbar hernia, and um, I never experienced pain like that ever in my life, and I haven't since. And I hope I never do. It's the kind of pain that you you say, literally, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. It's so awful. The physical effects of the burdens that I was carrying constantly while I was doing that job became really obvious really quick. And I had to do something about it. But the only way to do anything about it was to understand that I had a need. Once I understood what the problem was, oh, I've got a lumbar hernia. Okay, well, let's fix this. Now we can address this. And then, and only then, was I able to get relief. See, the, 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 that relates to our experience of sin. 
The forgiven life can only be experienced by understanding our need to be forgiven. We, we have to be like the psalmist who recognized his silence was causing his pain. That God's hand was heavy on him and his guilt, he, he just couldn't do anything about on his own. It's, it's really simple. It's as simple as admitting that we're sinners. And some of us will think, well, yeah, that's, that's what people do um, when they're not Christians. They have to admit that they're a sinner and then that's how they become a Christian, right? But we have to remember that, folks, even after we begin following Jesus and we feel that burden lifted and we go, oh, freedom of forgiveness, that we keep putting stuff in our packs. We keep loading up our packs with sins that are unconfessed because we mess up and we make mistakes every single day. And so we keep loading our packs up and we have to remember that blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. We have to admit that we're sinners every single day. But simply admitting it, right? Will that do anything for us? Simply admitting it actually isn't enough. So what should we do about it? Well, let's keep moving on to verse 5. And I want to show you this. The forgiven life is experienced by repentance and confession. By repentance and confession. That's how we experience the forgiven life. Look at verse 5. He says, I make my sin known. I make my sin known. That's an, the idea that, that he's continuing to do that. That's a, it's, his, it's his practice. He does it over and over again. He makes his sin known. The, the uh, ESV translates, I acknowledged my sin, as if it was like a, a one-time past thing, but really it's something that is an ongoing uh, expression of his life. But it's, it's the idea that, you know, previously I was silent, but now I'm speaking. Now I'm going to talk about it. Now I'm going to admit my sins. What does he do next? He says, and I did not cover. I did not cover. I didn't hide it up. Remember, it's blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Somebody else is doing the covering in verse 1. Somebody else covers our sin. God covers our sin. And he, but the problem is that we try to cover it ourselves. And the psalmist says, I did not cover my iniquity. The thing that made me guilty. My, my, my sin um, that was intentional acts against God. I didn't cover it up. I didn't cover it up myself. Because if, you, if you've ever tried to cover um, up a sin, maybe one sin, you know, then a, another sin to cover it up or another lie to cover it up, oh boy, right? It doesn't work very well. You may get away for it for, for a while, but oftentimes it comes right back to bite us. And be sure that God knows, right? God knows. I didn't cover my iniquity. I didn't try to hide it. What did he do? I said, I will confess. I will confess my rebellion, my transgression, my rebellion against God's authority. I will confess it. I will throw it on him. <laughs> the, 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 the root of that word to confess in the Old Testament is to throw it or to cast it. I'm going to throw my transgressions to him and he's going to take care of them. I'm going to cast it on him and he will take it away from me. I will confess to him. And what did, what did, what happened to the psalmist? And you forgave. You forgave. You lifted away what it means. You lifted away the iniquity or the guilt. The guilt of my sin. You lifted away. And the psalmist, the way he, he writes this that we don't really see very well in our, in our uh, English translations is it's an emphatic you. You! You're the one who does it. You lifted it away. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I can't do anything about this burden. But you, you can. And you 
lifted it away. Is that just the psalmist's experience or can we not experience it ourselves? I mean, that's the question. Sometimes I think we read this and go, well, that's all fine and good for David or for some other person, but my sin, I don't know about my sin. I don't know if it can be... I don't know if it can be forgiven. I don't know if the things that I've done can be forgiven. I don't know if, if I believe that I can be a changed person. I've tried. I've tried to be a better person. I've tried to deal with my sin. I've tried reaching back there to unload my burden and I can't do it. Can't do it. 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? He will do it. Here's a description. Psalm 32, this is a description of somebody who had his sins forgiven. But in 1 John 1, we have a promise. We have a promise. And we experience the forgiven life when we repent of our sins and when we confess. What remains unconfessed in your life? What is in your life that you have not repented of? Begin by confessing to God. And then I would say that beyond that, you need to tell somebody. We need to confess to one another. To confess to another person. Starting, uh, most of us, especially us, us who are husbands, start by confessing to our spouses, our wives. Start confessing our sins to our spouses. And then maybe to somebody, uh, another follower of Jesus, maybe someone in, our, in a discipleship group with us, or someone in our missional community, or even the pastor. But somebody, maybe even the church, Maybe you need to stand up before the whole church and say, here's a sin in my life, and I'm just going to come clean. I'm going to just share the whole thing, the whole gory details, because I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live. I don't want to live the kind of life that is sapping the life out of me. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to experience the forgiven life. I want to experience blessing. James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Not only physically, but spiritually as well. Experience the healing that comes from confession. Um, this act of confession is, is really significant. And I would say this, that if you are dealing with something in your life that you have not confessed to another person, then you're not going to experience the forgiven life. You're just not. And I've, I've known that personally. There have been things that I thought, I can deal with this, just between me and God. We'll work it out. And it never quite gets worked out. It's one of those, it's those kinds of things that, oh, I messed up again. Okay, I'll talk to God about it. All right, I'll um, pray about it some more. I'll try to be contrite. I'll try to do penance. I'll try to be good more often. I'll try to read my Bible more, and maybe that'll make up for it. I'll try to memorize, you know, the book of Psalms. <laughs> and maybe God will see that I'm really, really sorry, and I'm really, really, you know... I really confessed and I really repented to him. It's not until we share it and allow somebody else to help us with our burden by God's grace that we experience real forgiveness and real transformation and real change. There was a moment in my life where I had to confess to my wife. I said, honey... This is a problem. And she said, turn to Psalm 32 with me. Let's read it together. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. You are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. 
Your sin is covered. It's hidden. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He's not keeping count of this. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. There's some, there has to be sincerity in our confession and our repentance. So that we can experience the lifting away of our sins. That is when true change comes into our lives. That's when we learn. That's when we learn that we can trust God and His ways. And that's what the rest of the psalm is about. The forgiven life is about trusting God and His ways. See what he does in verse 6? He calls people to trust in God. He says, at the right time, at the time when you may be found, we will experience the removal of our sin. When, we, when, we, when, the, when the burden gets heavy, we know we have a way to have it removed. We know we have a way to have it removed. And look what he prays. He says, you are a hiding place for me. This is the prayer of the person who trusts in God, who knows that it's God who can forgive. You are a hiding place for me or a protection for me where we cannot be affected by evil because God protects us. You preserve me from, sh- from trouble. What is this trouble? This is, this is a, a narrow place or a, a tight spot. A, a trouble or a, a tight spot. A, it's, it's kind of like being that, in that, between a rock and a hard place. Stuck in a crevice. Stuck in a, in a narrow place. Boy, if something bad were to happen, like right here, have you ever been on a path? And you thought, boy, if I were to slip, there I go. Or driving through a tunnel, holy cow, if a big, if a big 18-wheeler came through this tunnel and I didn't see it, boy, Kiss City, it, we're done. Right? That's a tight spot. And God, he says, preserves me from trouble. Preserves me from those tight spots. Shouts of escape. Shouts of deliverance, some translations say. That's God is surrounding me with a victory chant. (laughs) There's victory. There's victory in trusting in God and receiving his forgiveness. And then see what he says in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. He, he, in, he gives insight. He teaches. He advises. He tells us the right way. The way you should go. That's the right way to live our lives. Through his word. What we talked about last week. Special revelation. What God reveals to us through His Word, through the Bible. And then what does He say in verse 9? Don't be a stubborn jackass. And that's what, that's what He's saying. Don't be like a horse or a mule. It has to be restrained, or it's not even going to respond to you. It's not going to come to you. Don't be like that. Don't refuse to repent and confess. Don't be resistant to it. Well, that's too painful. Or, Pastor... Um, uh, it's none of your business. That's between me and God. Well, yes. And that's what God is saying right here. It is between you and God, and you've got to get it right. Don't resist it. Don't be stubborn. That only leads to sorrow. That's what he says next. Many or great are the sorrows, the pains, the sufferings, the the internal stress and conflict of the wicked person is the person in this context who says, forget about it. Forget about it. I don't, I don't want to repent. I don't want anything to do with that. But look what happens to the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who experiences repentance and confession. He is surrounded again, not just by shouts of victory or shouts of escape, But he's surrounded by God's steadfast love. Steadfast love. When you're reading it in the English Standard Version and you read the phrase steadfast love, you can can guarantee that that word is a word that is used for God's covenant love. The kind of love that God has for his people. I've read the Jesus Storybook Bible to our girls. 
And this is how it describes it. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Well, that's a lot of adjectives for one simple word in Hebrew. But that's what it means. It's greater than just the word love. It's greater than the word mercy. Sometimes you'll see it translated. Or loving kindness. What is loving kindness? That seems kind of tame. This is his steadfast, never stopping love that surrounds a person who puts his trust in him. That puts his trust in the Lord. What, is, what happens to the one who trusts in the Lord? He rejoices. Be joyful. Be exuberant. Be exuberant. Means dance around a little bit. <laughs> it means to be so excited that you want to just jump up for joy. Most of us won't move our bodies like that unless we're watching a sporting event. And then we'll stand up and cheer. But that's what he's talking about here. Give a great shout. Let's get into it, right? That's what he's saying. That kind of joy that comes from the forgiven life is only experienced as we trust God, as we trust God through His Son, Jesus. Through His Son, Jesus. Um, boy, there is a book. There's a book that's been published more time in than any other book in the English language except for the Bible. Does anyone have an idea of what book that is? The book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a very old book, and if you want to read it in its original English, you might struggle through it a little bit, but there are modern translations of it. The, book has been re- the story has been retold over and over and over again from every form from you know, bound book to comic books or graphic novel or whatever. The story is about a person named Christian who goes on a pilgrimage. He goes on a journey. He leaves the city of destruction and he's on a journey to the celestial city. And as he goes on his way, right at the start of the story, he's so discouraged by everything that he sees. He's so discouraged by his own life, the way he's lived it. And he, what does he carry on his back? A burden. A backpack. (laughs) That's right. He carries this pack on his back. And he feels as if he can't make any progress. In fact, he's barely saved out of the slew of despond. He's trying to get through this swamp with this pack on. When, When will this pack get removed? When can I have some relief? When will it be lifted away? He comes to a hillside, right? Comes to a hillside and he looks up towards this hill. And what does he see on that hill? The cross. He sees the cross. And as he goes to the cross, a crazy thing happens, right? His, his burden is removed. And he gets some relief And for some reason, he doesn't know how because he didn't have handy-dandy clips like I've got. But the straps that held that burden on disappear, pull away, and it rolls down the hill. And where does it go? Into a tomb. Into a tomb where it's covered and he never sees it. Again. And he never sees it again. What relief. What joy. The experience of having that burden removed from him. And now he is free to go to the celestial city with joy and with, with a lightness in his step. And he, and he sings a song. He sings this song. He says, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in. He couldn't do anything about it to get relief. Till I came hither. What a place is this? 
must here be the beginning of my bliss, my happiness, my blessed life. Must hear the burden fall from off my back. Must hear the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, the tomb. Blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. The man of sorrows. The man of sorrows who bore our sin on his body on the cross. Jesus, right? Who came and lived a perfect sinless life because we couldn't. Because we are burdened with sin. And he did it for us. And then he took that burden on him. Can you imagine... Just imagine visually what it might look like if all of your sins were in a pack on your back. And then Jesus himself took every burden from every person who ever lived and carried it on him up the hill to Calvary, up the hill to the cross. And they were nailed into his body. Yet he rose from the dead, did he not? so that we could have life, so that we could experience the forgiven life. Now and with God forever. We only have to trust Him. Trust Him and His ways for us. Trust in what Jesus has done for us. And to keep doing that day after day, week after week, year after year. Repentance and confession don't stop. They, didn't, they don't stop at the foot of the cross. They continue along the path. They continue along the way. For some, we need, some people need to be forgiven for the very first time and to need, to have, need to have their burden removed once and for all. Others of us need to just keep doing it over and over and over again. Never stop repenting. Never stop confessing. How are you going to respond today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for giving me relief from my burdens. The sin in my life. I thank you that you don't stop forgiving us when we keep making mistakes. That God, you are good that your, your, your steadfast love, your covenant, never-ending, never-stopping, forever love surrounds us and reminds us that we are your children. If we are in Christ, if we have been changed by you, we experience that forgiven life. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never yet tasted the forgiven life, it's as simple as acknowledging our sin and, and, and accepting and believing in the truth of the gospel and repenting, confessing, and putting our faith and our trust in you. God, that is a message we need to hear no matter where we're at in life. And it's a message that other people need to hear too. Father, I pray that you will do a work in us, even now, this morning. I pray that we will respond the way that you have called us to respond, to live the forgiven life that you have called us to live. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? The music is going to play. I invite you to sing along, or, or pray or quietly, or come forward. Um, even come up here. And respond if there's something you want to pray with me about. I would be overjoyed to do it. So let's stand and sing.
next week from our midst. Should I say it? Should I tell them who it is? Um, Chris Bell is going to bring a message this coming Sunday. Um, he is a graduate of our preaching uh, college. Uh, well, not. But he, he, participated. <laughs> he participated in our preaching class that we did during January and first week of February. And he's uh, got a message that he's developed, and I'm excited about that because um, I know it's going to be something that you'll want to hear and you'll be very encouraged by. So be praying for him throughout the week and then come and bring some guests, you know, and bring some guests to come with you too. That would be pretty exciting. Okay? All right. Uh, let's pray. And um, hey, Chris, since I already mentioned you, would you go ahead and close us? Okay. Dear Father in heaven, um, we bow our heads together 